Father God, your name is power. Jesus, your name is power. What a powerful name it is. And God, we declare that together, the things that you have done in and by the name of Jesus, the things that you are doing in our lives, in our world, all around us, in and by the name of Jesus. We declare that your name is power. We call that name upon our own lives, upon our world, upon our community. We pray that by your spirit we will be empowered to walk in the power of that name, to live and move in the power of that name, to speak and act in the power of that name, to bring the power of that name into the lives of those around us. God, as we turn now to your word this morning, we pray that you would speak and move. We pray that we would come to understand that name a little more deeply, what you are doing, who you are a little more deeply, and that we can love you a little more fully, follow you a little more closely, and share you a little more with the people around us. We ask that you speak now in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, worship team, for leading us to that place this morning, to powerful things for us to declare together. And it sounded amazing in here. We could hear the voices so well today, and it was really, really special uh, to be able to share in that time. It is good to worship God together. It is good to see those things together, to declare those things together, and to walk in discipleship and humility together. Uh, well, as we begin this morning, we're going to invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, a little further along in the Sermon on the Mount here as we continue our study as we walk through these things. Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to read at the end of this chapter. We're going to be kind of walking through the whole chapter together today, but we're going to start with the, the end of this chapter here, the things that Jesus is telling us here. Matthew chapter 6, we're going to start in verse 25. And Jesus says this to us. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And Why do you worry about clothes? See, how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. That is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire. Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Seek first His kingdom, His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Jesus He's trying to tell us, trying to teach us that this kingdom that we're invited into is all that matters. That everything we've ever looked for is there. He's teaching us how to live, how to worship, how to trust. And if we'll listen, everything we want, everything we need is there in relationship with Him. 
Can we trust him? Do we believe him? God is good and he's gracious and he's worthy of our praise. Amen? Amen. This morning we're continuing our study of the teachings of, the, of Jesus, the red letter words, the things that Jesus told us about his father, about his kingdom, about himself while he was here on earth with us, walking and talking and living and laughing with us, crying and hurting with us, sharing the life he created with us. It's an amazing picture, isn't it? To imagine that. What would that have been life like to to experience? That here, God wasn't speaking through someone else anymore, through a prophet or through the written word or through angels in the sky or through dreams or visions or thoughts in our minds. He came here himself and he talked to them. He spoke to them. And more than that, he just had conversations with them. That was something that I was thinking about this week as I was preparing. Can you imagine a conversation with Jesus? Not a sermon, not a lecture, not a teaching, a conversation with Him. Most of what we have in the Gospels is Jesus talking to people, teaching them, telling them stories and parables, preaching, answering their questions. And certainly He did a lot of that. But he would have listened to them too. Particularly those very close friends and followers, Mary and Martha and Lazarus, the disciples. These were friends and followers, people that he was with for huge amounts of time. And he wouldn't have just talked at them forever. They would have talked together. They would have shared their hearts too. They would have told Jesus their Stories, things that happened to them around the fire at night or on the long walks to the places that they were ministering. These were people hanging out together. What was it like to hang out with Jesus? Who do you think was the funny one in that group? There's always one. The disciple who made Jesus laugh. Who had the best stories? Who was the best storyteller in the group that everyone loved just listening to? Who was that really quiet one that never really spoke, but everyone just loved having there? Who was the servant? The one that was always running over to grab more firewood or doing what he could to help? Jesus was surrounded by real people. People he loved people he created, people he enjoyed spending time with. God enjoys us. As much as we hurt him, as much as we fail, as much as we're broken, he still created us in his image to be with him, to enjoy a relationship with him. And he still wants that. He still loves us. He still enjoys us. Jesus enjoyed them. While he was with them, he talked to them about his kingdom. And he told them about his mission. There's people that he enjoyed 
told them his plan. He taught them what he wanted them to do. And he's teaching us too. He's speaking to us too if we'll listen to him like they did. If we'll hear what he'll say. And we want to learn. We want to learn from him. And so we ask Jesus, what are we supposed to do? Jesus, tell us what your kingdom looks like. Jesus, tell us what you want our lives to look like. And he did. He really did. He answered those questions. He told them. He told us. And we have it here in these red letters written down for us. And so we're walking through the gospel of Matthew, looking at the teachings of Jesus, trying to hear him, trying to learn from him, trying to know his heart and his desire for us, that we can live like he wants us to, like he created us to. And again, we're kind of starting in the Sermon on the Mount, this huge piece of teaching that Jesus gave us, covering all kinds of different parts and pieces of life. For the last few weeks, again, we started with this first part of the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to look through all of the Gospel of of Matthew and all these different amazing things that Jesus said to us. But this is where Jesus starts, where he really lays out and paints this whole picture of this new kingdom, this new life that he is bringing to us. And Jesus kind of breaks this teaching down into three different parts, three pieces. He's the perfect pastor. The first three-point sermon ever preached right here. Here on this Judean hillside in front of this crowd. But in this sermon, he kind of covers three things. How to live, how to worship, and how to follow. Chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7. And each is filled with different pieces within that, but it's following these bigger ideas. And so in chapter 5, it's all about life, how to live, our behavior. What kind of behavior is good enough in God's eyes? And it's far different than our standard of barely good enough. And at the end, he says even, so be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Something that outside of relationship with Him, we cannot do until we are renewed and restored in His image. But then in this next chapter, He begins to show us how what that perfection kind of starts to look like. He tells us how to worship. And it's in worship that in right relationship, in restored relationship, that we can understand that perfection that God, that Jesus is calling us to. And in these teachings, Jesus leads us to it. Once again, we're going to see that as has been in all of Jesus' teachings to this point, that it's not about us. We make everything about us, but it's not about us, it's about His Father. It's all about God, His glory, His love, His presence, His righteousness, His kingdom, His holiness. And in this chapter, Jesus talks about five things. He talks about giving. He talks about prayer. He talks about fasting. He talks about money. And then He talks about worry all connected to worship. And the whole time he's trying to get us to do one thing. To just lift our eyes and see our Father. To stop staring at and focusing on ourselves 
and see God. It's a fascinating chapter. It's an incredible teaching. And he begins with talking about the way we try to do good. And how broken even our own efforts to be good truly are. That even when we try to help someone else in need, we wind up working in complete selfishness. Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, he says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that you may be, what you are doing, your giving, may be done in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. If a tree falls in the forest and no one is around to hear it, does it make a sound? And if a sandwich is given to a homeless person without a camera being shoved in their face, to record their tearful gratitude as it is beamed by satellite all over the world for everyone to see on TikTok, was a good deed even done? 2,000 years ago, Jesus tapped into something so dark, so twisted, so evil, so broken in our own hearts. This truth that Everything we do is tainted with our selfishness. We can't even try to do something good without worrying about what someone else will think, without making sure someone else sees. Someone else knows the good thing that we've done so that they think we're good. Can we serve a meal at the mustard seed without posting it on Instagram? Do we raise our hands in worship to give glory to God or for others to see how spiritual we are? Do we pray at a restaurant before our meal to truly give thanks to our Heavenly Father for His grace and provision or to witness at the people around us that we are Christians? Can we serve God and worship God without worrying about what others see us doing? Can it ever just be for Him? Many years ago, I had the privilege of spending a week at the Mustard Seed in Edmonton, serving and working and learning about the homeless community around us, the needs and the hurts and the relationships and the culture of those people. And there was a thousand interesting and important things that I learned that week serving and working and talking to people. But there was one fascinating experience that has really stuck with me. One of the exercises that we did that week was, was we were kicked out of the place that we were staying. We kicked out of the mustard seed and we were supposed to be homeless for a day. To go out and wander the streets of Edmonton and try to find some resources, find some food. To try to experience just a fraction of 1% of what it was like to be homeless, even just for a few hours. And it's not remotely the same, of course. But they were trying to give us just a taste. 
what so many people experience every day. And one of the things that we got to do that evening was we came back to the mustard seed to go through the food line and receive a meal alongside all the other people there. And I remember that experience so vividly. I remember feeling so vulnerable and so exposed, so judged. The volunteers that were serving that night didn't know that our group was there. That was part of this thing. Is they, didn't, they were just a church group or a school group or somebody that was just coming and volunteering there. They didn't know that this experience was happening. So they didn't know who we were. They didn't know that we weren't homeless. We didn't, they didn't know that we were just doing an exercise. And so as we went through the line, we felt judged, patronized, vulnerable, helpless. And I remember just wanting to explain to the volunteers, no, 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 I'm not really homeless. We're just here doing a thing. I remember feeling so uncomfortable, so weird, and the volunteers were lovely, and it wasn't their fault. But you could feel this patronizing energy, this righteousness, whether they were giving it or we were just receiving it, because we were uncomfortable. The thing that stood out to me as I've reflected on that experience, that in all of that, none of us saw each other. We were all worried about what everybody else was thinking about. and We weren't worried about people loving and caring for them and, and bringing God into their life. It was just all this self-absorption in the whole experience. All we saw was the barriers between us and the judgment that we perceived or felt. People trying to do good and feeling good for doing good. And people needing help and feeling bad for needing help and feeling judged and wondering what other people thought. And in so many ways, even as we were all trying to do different things, none of it was really honoring God. Because we were all so concerned what everyone else thought and everyone else was happening. Can we worship God? Can we show His love? Or are we always just so worried about what everyone else thinks? It's changed, that experience changed me a lot and it's changed how I try to approach those kind of opportunities of, of serving and caring. I'm still so bad at it because I'm still so fallen. But I remember it so vividly how lost I felt. Jesus goes on. When you pray, he says, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your heavenly Father knows what you need before you ask Him. And then Jesus goes on to tell us exactly how to pray, what that looks like. How do we pray? Is it some kind of magic spell that if we say everything right or talk long enough, then we'll get what we want? If we use fancy words that impress the people around us, does that make us feel more spiritual? I remember growing up at Hilda Baptist. My parents are here. Morning, guys. Uh, Sorry. Uh, they, they, 
they did uh, prayer time and then Sunday school and then the service. They didn't have it all running at the same time. So like the real churches do, right? You know, someday we'll be. <laughs> we got to do what we got to do. It's hard. But they had prayer time in the morning. And it was a beautiful time. It was a powerful time. Uh, and every single Sunday, they gather for that time of prayer. And they share um, requests together and walk through these things. But I remember being very young. And I remember in that time, struggling to feel like I prayed long enough. It was a real thing when I was sitting with these adults who were more mature in their faith and just flat out more mature in their vocabulary and things like that, their ability, their journey with Jesus was longer. They knew how to pray more fully and more deeply than I did. But at the same time, it doesn't mean my prayers weren't any less valid. If we're speaking openly and honestly with God, it doesn't matter the words we use, it doesn't matter how long it was, but I remember, and there was no judgment from others, but I felt inadequate. I wasn't able to pray long enough. Try to pray longer. Who are we talking to? Are we even talking to God at all or just trying to make ourselves feel good, feel something, feel enough? Where is God in any of this? In the things that we're doing for Him. Isn't it interesting what Jesus sees in our hearts when we're trying to do good things, in our efforts to please Him? He goes even further yet again. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show that they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And it's almost getting funny and sad at this point as Jesus goes on for a third time here. What Jesus sees in our hearts, this crowd that he has just told to be perfect as their heavenly Father is perfect, can't give, can't love, can't pray, can't worship without becoming entirely consumed with themselves. Everything we try to do for God gets lost in the ocean of our selfishness as our eyes are blinded to what God wants us to see. And He wants us to just see Him, to trust Him, to believe that He is it, that He is enough, that what He is offering is enough. Matthew 5.19, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He's talking about money, but when we see how he's getting there, he's talking about the esteem that we desire from others, the attention. Where is our treasure? Where is our heart? Where is our love focused? What do we value? God's presence? 
or the opinions and attention of the people around us? What are we storing up? Wealth and comfort and control and power and esteem? Or the joy and the love of God? It's such a fascinating chapter. These things that Jesus has collected together. These things that He is teaching us. Trying to help us see past the end of our own noses. Past the opinions of the people around us. Trying to help us see His Father as He does. The only thing that matters is Him. And so He ends this teaching with this deep truth that all of this is connected to fear. Fear of others. Fear of failing. Fear of not being enough. Not having enough. Not being worthy. And of others not thinking we are either. So He gathers this all together. To trust and faith. Therefore, and as we've said before, whenever we see a therefore, we have to ask what it's there for. This is Jesus bringing all of these thoughts together here. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. Don't worry about what you're going to eat or drink, about your body, what you will wear. Is not your life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow, is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear, for the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. All these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Everything we do is so motivated by fear and selfishness that it is hard for us to see anything else. And even when we try to see and do good, it's still lost in that sea of our sinfulness and our brokenness. And Jesus knows that. He sees that. It's why He walks through these things again and again and again. He calls us back to His kingdom, His righteousness. It's not about us. Not about what we can do. It's about what He can do and what He has done. Because we can know worship like this. We can know life like he is describing, free from fear, walking in fullness and in love, in grace and humility and wisdom and strength and selflessness. 
We can serve others. We can worship Him and we can live in faith when we know Him. When we let His Spirit work in our hearts, when we receive His grace and let His righteousness cover our brokenness. We can share in worship, in freedom as He created us to do this perfection, this worship, this life in the kingdom that Jesus is describing is impossible for us but not for Him. And He promises us that we can do what He has been doing. That we can know life like He knows it. That we can love and serve others like He does because He is enough. When we accept His gift and let His Spirit fill us and sanctify us and humble us and connect us to our Father, we can do all these things He's describing. We can serve others with a new kind of love and humility, truly bringing God's love to them instead of performing our righteousness at them. We can pray and connect in relationship with our Father with a depth and an intimacy born of true relationship with Him. We can walk in worship And in righteousness, living our relationship with Him out in these sacred practices. Truly bringing Him glory and honor. And we can be set free of worldly fears and desires. Living in abundance and freedom and life in His kingdom. This sounds like something I want to do. Sounds like something I want to know. Sounds like a God that I want to see. I want to treat others with His love. I want to see them like He does. I want to be so consumed in myself and what they think of me. It's about what they think of Jesus. His love, His righteousness, His grace, His mercy. His kingdom, His glory forever and ever and ever. Amen. Jesus is trying to teach us how to live, how to worship, what it looks like if we do what He's telling us to do. And it looks pretty good. It starts with letting go. Letting Him replace our selfishness with His righteousness. Our lostness with His love. Do we want to know what the love of Jesus really looks like? What would your worship look like if you let Jesus lead you there? I know I want to find out more and more, and I think He wants us to find out together. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the life of Jesus. We thank you that he lived here with us and walked with us and talked with us and shared that life with us. We thank you for his followers that you inspired by your spirit to record these things, these teachings of Jesus. That we can know what he thinks, know what he sees. Now Father, what he sees can be scary can be hurtful, God. We know we are lost. 
But we thank you, not just for his life, but for his death and his resurrection too. That we can be forgiven and made new. That we can know life. That we can know worship. That we can know love as he means us to know it. So Father, as we are here today, God, we ask your forgiveness for the places that we've tried to serve, the places that we've tried to play, the pray, the places that we've tried to worship that have been consumed with selfishness, where we've only seen ourselves and what other people think. And God, we want to bring you worship. We want to walk in your light and in your love and freedom and fullness. We pray that you would strip away a little bit more of that selfishness, replace it with Jesus. We can bring his image into the world around us. We ask your forgiveness, we ask your grace, we ask your love and your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen.